Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit's enlightenment, even as he illumined the saints of old, even as he inspired the writers of Scripture, the prophets, the apostles of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, Lord, we ask for him who indwells your people and who is the resident teacher of our hearts to teach us from the word of God. In Jesus' name. In the last two weeks, we covered, first, how we are chosen by the Father, and then last week, how we are redeemed by the Son. Today, we will hear how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Blessed Trinity. The Holy Spirit gives you life. There are other words used, regeneration. Christ spoke of the new birth. And they're given. That is, the Holy Spirit gives that to his elect. Those who are chosen from the foundation of the world and called. Our Lord taught Nicodemus was a Jew and was a Pharisee, a teacher of the Jews. The wind blows where it listed or chooses. Now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. You cannot tell. You cannot tell it. You cannot uh, dictate to it. You cannot see it. It blows, that is, the wind, wherever it wants. There are factors, perhaps, with the wind, but with the Holy Spirit. There's no telling where he chooses to blow or to go. And that's why our Lord said, in conclusion, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again, and it is by the Spirit living God. The Holy Spirit opens one's eyes to behold Christ. Our Lord himself said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father have are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine and the Father's and will show it unto you. The Holy Spirit enables his people to call upon Jesus as Lord. The Apostle Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 12, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. That means that the Spirit of God alone will enable you to believe upon Jesus, and not the other way around, which is the teaching predominantly in many circles today, sadly, sad to say. 
And that is that we must first honor own by our own cognizance and free will, believe upon Christ, and then we are born again. No, that's the wrong order. Because we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are underneath the power of Satan, who is the God of this world, and have blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine into them. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit for faith and repentance. Turn away from sin and believe upon the Lord. In our passage in Ephesians 1, verse 13, it states, in whom you also trust. Who is that? But Jesus Christ, in the previous verse 12. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. First, one must hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then on the basis of that, one must trust in the Lord. One does that by confessing that Jesus is your Lord, is my Lord, and believing in your heart and mind that he rose from the dead. That God hath raised him from the dead. God says, thou shalt be saved. With the heart, man believes in his righteousness, even the righteousness of God. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It is upon your Calling on the Lord, confessing Christ as your Lord, that you are brought to saving faith in Christ. This by the Holy Spirit. But we come to another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit that I have identified as the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Something that happens after you are born again and after you have confessed Christ by faith. Notice it says in that verse 13, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There are three things that I would have you note about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. First, how he is called the Holy Spirit of promise. Holy Spirit of promise. This is based upon the promise of Scripture, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, such as in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Turn to Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Hear the word of God. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that radical? It's like open heart surgery. It's a radical surgery. And we never want that to happen. But this is spiritual open heart surgery, if you will. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. Now, the first spirit in verse 26, a new spirit could be a new spirit of our own. 
Or it could be a reference to the Holy Spirit. But I have no doubt at all that in 27, verse 27, that when God says, I will put my spirit good in you, that he is talking about none other than the Holy Spirit of promise. This is where the phrase, the spirit of promise, comes from. The Holy Spirit is God's seal that you belong to him, not that you're a believer in the Lord. It's like a branding iron that is heated up in fire, and then the owner puts on his cow one by one. Or it's like a hole that bore into the ear of one who is to become a slave, such as what we read, for example, in Exodus 21, 5 and 6. Exodus 21, 5 and 6. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Meaning that the slave wants to remain such in the family of the slave owner. And by the way, slavery was practiced throughout history, including in the days of Israel. Although God discouraged it amongst the people of Israel. But nevertheless, it was done. And here is an example of one who loves his master, probably had a good master, as I'm sure that there were those who were good masters of their slaves and took care of their slaves and their families. And he says, I want to stay right where I'm at. I'm not leaving anywhere. After making that family decision uh, as husband and wife, they decided that this is far better. And there are situations like that, believe it or not, as much as we are in disagreement with the practice of slavery. It exists. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door. And what does he do there? At the door or on the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an owl. You know what an owl is, right? It's like if you use it break ice pit, ice pick, owl, and he shall serve him forever. The Holy Spirit is like that, a seal that guarantees that he will do as he has promised in completing our salvation. As is said in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Second, the Holy Spirit. is the earnest of our inheritance. In Ephesians 1.14, it reads, 
which is the earnest of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Who is the which? The Holy Spirit or that Holy Spirit of promise. Notice he is called the earnest. It is from the Greek word erbon. The meaning of erbon is pledge or part of the full purchase money or amount that is given in advance as security that the balance of the payment of that property will be paid. We call that also, if you're buying a house, the origination fee. That if you should not go through with that agreement, you would lose that money. But the idea, but the ideal is that you deposit that in good faith, believing that you will have that property to which you paid that deposit and that down payment, whether it's a house or some other commodity that is of great worth. And it is according to the terms of the agreement. When God says to Christians that we are to look to the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a divine guarantee, as a down payment, we are saying that we are indeed saved by the grace of God and will finally obtain eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is actually God's guarantee to us. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee in our lives by his actual presence in us and granted this is very subjective how do you know you have the holy spirit is a good question that you might be asking right now or that may be going through your mind but let me say this that while we cannot rely upon our subjective analysis or our emotions or our feelings for salvation we are to turn to the Word of God. We are to turn to Jesus Christ of the Gospel. And we are to believe upon Him. And on that basis, believe that, that our believing, our faith, is because of the Holy Spirit's work. And our being saved is because of His applying the work of Christ to us spiritually by granting us repentance and faith in our conversion to the Gospel. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And his indwelling us now is God living in us, or dwelling in us, and we in him. And this is why we believe that God sent his Son into the world to save sinners of whom we are chief. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit in our lives guarantees an inheritance that we will receive in in total, in full, one day. In the meantime, we are enjoying the benefits of that great salvation. Our Lord told his disciples at one point in his earthly ministry, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and not others. He was speaking in the context of his ministry, which was being rejected by the status quo of the religious system of his day, which should have received him. But they had the very oracles of God. But they rejected their Savior. 
It says in the Bible, in the beginning of, of John, called the prologue, how he came into the world and the world knew him not. The very world that he made did not recognize him. And still to this day. And then it says it came unto his own, who are they, the Jews. Christ was a Jew. He wasn't a Filipino. He wasn't an African. He wasn't a Russian. He wasn't American. He was a Jew. It says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. In other words, they rejected him. And they should put him on the cross. It goes on to say, but to as many as received him, to them gave him power or authority to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, it's not something that is inherited, nor the will of the flesh, it's not of your free will. If you think that you came to Christ on your own, without any help at all from God, you got an unfit coming. Because that's not the truth. In fact, it is all of grace. It's all of grace. And the Holy Spirit is the one who provides that saving grace to our hearts. And it is through Him that we are given the grace to live the Christian life. You know, we are a work in progress, let me tell you. <laughs> and I, as a pastor, know that all too well myself, without knowing about y'all. You, know, you all encounter day to day, you know, but I can only imagine. And, and of course, more important, pray that God will give you that same, I call it maintaining grace. What I mean by that? need grace to maintain our walk with Christ. As Paul would say, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yet, as wonderful as these graces are, as wonderful as these blessings have been thus far, and they are, and especially overcoming grace and maintaining grace. To live according to the word of God. To walk after Jesus. To be conformed to his glorious image more and more, day by day, until, of course, we would be with him. As much of a blessing as that is, they are but what is called a foretaste of glory divine. As Paul elsewhere would say, I have not seen nor ever heard as have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath before prepared for them that love him. He, he says that, you know, if those people, those princes, those uh, people like Herod and Pontius Pilate uh, have this which God has given to you, given to your heart, given love for Christ, do you think they would have done the things that they did? Of course not. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yea, the deep things of God. It's wanting to know more about God. It's wanting to know the deep things, the deeper things of the Spirit of God important to you. Let me uh, say that... Uh, they were to one that I would call Father Abraham. 
You know who I'm talking about? Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, if you're in Christ. So let's just praise the Lord, right? Right arm, left arm, right, right foot, left foot. <laughs> in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 10, you see someone who obviously had a foretaste of what was yet to come. Because it says of him in Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, meaning the promised land, Canaan, which wasn't really such a promising place to live at the time. I mean, if you talk about homesteading as promising, I guess you have to have that, that desire for that. But not only that, it was already occupied. There were other people out there, people that were pretty ferocious. And, ooh, you know, he, he had a, a number of uh, altercations and his nephew Lot particularly when they were there. As in a strange country, which it was at that time, dwelling in tabernacles, which are tents, with Isaac and Jacob also living in tents after him. So it was for several generations. The heirs with him of the same promise of God. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, it seems like there's a, a, a big leak here. There is. There's a gap here. And the gap is decades in which he lived in the promised land. And yet, he could never build a house. He could never build a log cabin because he was destined to live in a tent. Until one day, it, it dawned on him that this was God's will for his life. And that the promised land wasn't here, but was up ahead. And in fact, in a city which has foundations, was built and made them strong. If we jump down to 13, these, meaning all those that are mentioned uh, heretofore, including and especially Abraham, all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Is this how you and I regard our life, our life here on earth, as pilgrims and strangers on the earth? The land of Canaan was always to be a temporary inheritance, just like our earthly inheritances. I don't know if you ever received one of those. I have uh, my Miata. I didn't drive it this morning. But, uh, that's my earthly inheritance until it breaks down. <laughs> and then it will be somebody else's. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. And he goes on to explain in another part later on in the book of Acts what that inheritance 
and followers. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. That's what it's all about. And inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. He is quoting the Lord Jesus' words to him. The Apostle Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. You know, saying, this is what happened to me, and this is what must happen to you if you were to have this inheritance that I speak about, that I've spoken to you about, and gave to me. God opened my eyes to the true and glorious inheritance that awaits all the children of God. And he could open yours. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. If someone were to go to heaven and to take your mansion there, there you know, in my house are many mansions, right? and take your mansion there, and you, you come up to the mansion when it was when it your time to, to go, to, to, to arrive, and you knock on that door, and he's there, you can say, <coughs> excuse me, it's reserved for me. And, and that, you know, I'm being facetious, I would like that. But I want to make the point very clear, and that is that if you are in Christ, this is yours. Even as all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is the earnest down payment, the deposit that guarantees our receiving the inheritance of being in heavenly places in Christ. Even as Jesus is at the Father's right hand. I hope I've made that point. That point. Say a little bit clear. And we put one more verse. 2 Corinthians 1.22. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Which reads, Who hath also sealed us in God and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The earnest without payment is here, even in your heart. on that. Meditate on that. Consider God's word and that it will give you wisdom. Are you in Christ? That's what you have to focus on. Not so much is the Holy Spirit in you. Although there is something to that as well because it says that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So there's something going on on that level. But stay focused upon Christ and pray in the Spirit for the feelings and the understanding and for the conviction and the confirmation of God's presence in you also follow. If you are in Christ, you realize what you have. 
go back to our text, I'd like to reread 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. In whom you also trusted me in Christ, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in Christ once again, also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, meaning the Holy Spirit of promise, is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. A lot. <laughs> God dwelling in this temple is a lot. And yet, it's the truth. And so, I would have you to consider these things. And may the glory of the Holy Spirit shine radiantly in you and through you through the praise of God's glory and grace. And next time, we will consider prayer of the Apostle Paul for the power of the Holy Spirit to implement the high calling, yea, the heavenly calling in Christ, and also our realizing what we have that is our inheritance, which is at the right hand of the Father. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word, and while it is indeed a challenging one, not an easy one, to wrap our small, puny minds around. Because indeed we are talking about the infinite and eternal and most high God and trying to comprehend Him. Even though you have condescended to us, men of low estate, and that for the purpose of our knowing you and our becoming your children, Yet that distance is indeed great between us and you. And we need your help, through the help of your Holy Spirit, who is our comforter and our teacher, to understand this, to receive this, to rejoice in this, to glorify, glorify and to praise you with, and then, Lord, to tell others about even in the gospel of salvation. And Lord, may this have been helpful in breaking the ice of this most mysterious and yet most clear, clearly taught teaching of the Holy Spirit in your word, the sealing of the Holy Spirit.